Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited to have my guest in Joe Boringer and really just excited to talk to Joe. Worked with Joe at the Mariners. Um, you know, it's it's funny when you catch up with people uh, quite a few years later and you get some interesting perspectives and um, you're like, oh yeah, you remember this, remember that? So uh, nonetheless, I'm just excited to talk to Joe about his career on the baseball side. Uh, in the sports industry, the player side, scouting, et cetera. Uh, Joe, excited for the conversation. I, I am as well. And I, quite a few years is an accurate way to put it. So I, I know we've uh, kind of had casual collisions a lot during th- during that time, just uh, checking back and forth. And yeah, really excited to have a little, little more in-depth conversation today. So one of my favorite memories with Joe was um, we were, I think we were going to an ASU game at, I don't know, it was Packer. Well, I don't think it was Packard at the time. I think they were already over at the A's, uh, old A's spring training stadium, but we were sitting at a Jersey Mike's before the game. And Joe was kind of giving his, his spiel about, you know, paying it forward and whatever, you know, whenever you get further into the industry, you know, you take someone out for a sandwich and, you know, kind of give them, uh, your career journey and stuff like that. And I think what's interesting is you never know what's going to stick with somebody uh, or what you say to them. You, you might blow it off and you get in your car and you drive away and you're like, ah, I don't know if that helped. Right. But you never know what sticks with people. And, um, you know, part of this podcast and why it started was was paying it forward, giving it back, trying to give advice and insights to people. Um, and that's what we do. So uh, Joe, for for you having listened to episodes and now being able to have you on is is awesome, and would love for you to kind of dive into your uh, GPS, your journey on the on the baseball side, and uh, we'll get into some of your perspectives now that you've been out for uh, a year or so. Yeah, no, so um, really fortunate. Started out in the uh, early '90s. I did internships when I was in college, and ended up uh, being in baseball for 31 seasons, and. Um, yeah, just really had a lot of different roles, a lot of different areas, a lot of different departments. And I learned so much from so many people and that pay it forward idea, um, especially in sports, it's, it's, you know, um, before the Moneyball era, it was an anecdotal teaching model. You learn through storytelling and you learn through relationships and you learn through the experiences that people had through trial and error. And I was very fortunate, the mentors that I had, um, particularly on the scouting and development side, because it, it was so much kind of intuition and observation and uh, what you had built up. And, uh, and, and really, it segued really well into what's really become the information age now, where you're trying to, to balance those two things. But you know, I had a chance to really touch a lot of different areas and uh, the, the, uh, the idea exchange, best practices, all those things, uh, the best organizations do that. And I've found now and the people that I've talked with um, outside of baseball, like it, in group dynamics are group dynamics, um, teams are teams. And it doesn't matter if it's a baseball team or a hockey team or a sales team or an HR team. Um, good teams have traits and characteristics as to how they interact and how they 
pass along information and, and the way they align and what they're trying to do. And um, yeah, just really fortunate. I've had a, a lot of good teammates uh, over the years. I've had a lot of good people that have been willing to share and pay it forward. And, um, you know, you talk about that paying it forward and at that at Jersey Mike's and, and now I see you paying it forward at the classes that you're teaching and the books that you're writing and the things that you're doing. So yeah, yeah just it's like-minded people. And those, those are the people in professional sports. You kind of need that. It's a very competitive industry. And so the ability to um, learn as much as you can, as fast as you can, because it is so fast paced and you have so many things to do it, it, it. I feel it helped me a lot. And I think it, it's something that helps a lot of people who succeed in the industry. What was the point in your career where you started to realize you could pay it forward? Um, because I think a lot of times people are like, well, I'm too young or I'm, or like, what would they want to know from me? And it's like, it's never too early to pay it forward. There's always someone you could pay it forward to. I think that's, that's fair statement. And I think the, the, uh, the easiest way to pay it forward is just be honest and authentic about sharing your knowledge. And sometimes you might not even realize you're paying it forward at the time. Uh, I think we tend to, default almost to like hierarchy and age. So there was a part where my position on the flow chart made it pay it forward. And, you know, I, I just remember one time um, if, if, if you're, a full, you know, someone did it for me, I was an intern and they were a full-time employee and they kind of made the statement, Hey, if you're full-time and you're taking an intern to lunch, like don't let the intern pay, you know, now be careful. Don't pick the surf and turf shop if you're going to take them to lunch, because sometimes as a full-time employee, you might not be in a situation to pick up too much, but um, that, that really resonated with me. And, you know, when I was in a position to be able to, to do that, and, and I've been really fortunate, I've watched people kind of trickle down that way. And when you talk about team building and being a part of something bigger than yourself and having people come together, that's really a simple way to come together. It's it's a way for people to connect and, and, and people to uh, feel a bond that that's not just transactional um, and working in the same place, but transformational, which is what you need if you're going to, to have uh, be in an industry where it is literally the last team standing every year is how how you're judged in, in wins and losses. So, um, yeah, it, it's been important for me. And I don't know that you like flip a switch, but I think if you're in the right environment, I think it just happens naturally. Let's talk a little bit about the the nuances of the baseball side. And, and really, it's the team side, right? Like it can apply to any sport. Um, when you think about the business on the team side and the nuances of, uh, to your point, you know, the dynamics, the, you know, you have plenty of remote employees, people working all over and all over the world too, for that matter, from an international standpoint, how do you go about creating a culture on the team side when you're not in person all the time? And Hey, let, let's face it, pre pandemic, you guys have been doing this for a long time. So you might have some, uh, Piece of advice for those on the business side. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting in that you um, communication matters. Uh, it matters if you're the person that's next to you in the office, or it matters if they're remotely. And and it's one of the things I've talked about as I've had a chance to to talk with people more in the corporate world. Uh, they're struggling with employees that work remotely. How do you keep them engaged? And and by hook or by crook, we've had a we've always had minor league affiliates. So for 50 years we've dealt with remote employees and those employees i mean they are they are representing your organization independently on their own so making sure they understand what your vision is and what your values are and the things that you're trying to accomplish um a minor league manager he is literally the voice of your organization every night he's getting interviewed after the game and you want him to 
understand what you're doing and who you're who you are and what you're about as an organization. So you always have your core people and then you're you're getting it out. And and I think the other part of it is to your point about the business side, I do think the team operations has gotten much more business business centric over the time that I did it. And I think the main reason for that is the industry has changed from a lot of franchises, not just baseball, but all sports, a lot of franchises being kind of family owned and more mom and pop. And if they're a little bit in the black every year, that's okay. And if they're a little bit red in the red every you know year, they're going to tighten up. And now they're part, they're line items and part of bigger companies. And a couple of franchises are even part of a publicly traded. So you're, you know, you're reporting your, your revenues and your expenditures and a lot of the budgeting and a lot of the things that you're doing business-wise negotiating, it has really turned into where the team operations and the business operations are merging, at least in the approach that you have to take to those things. Um, it is very fast paced. It is big, big dollar decisions. And a lot of these uh, teams are, are operating on, on very, very large budgets. And some leagues have salary caps with the large budget for your player payroll and baseball it's an additional variable because we can have differences of player payroll. So do you want to take some from player payroll to do an infrastructure project? Or do you need to take some from an infrastructure project because it's time to push your payroll? So it, it really is uh, the further I got from my business school background, the more I found I actually used, you know, some of the things I've learned in business school. So yeah, it, it is big business. And um, I think at least for the casual fan, they might be somewhat surprised at how much that actually does apply. I was going to say it's it's you can always compare like scouting and sales, right? Once you've been in both, you realize it's the same action. It's actually the same thing. It's the same skills, it, just in a different way, right? When you go out uh, and I'll let you explain it, but when you go out to scout somebody and you come back to tell your GM, hey, we need to spend X million dollars on this player, like you got to sell them. You got to figure out why it matters. What's the value proposition? The whole you know the whole nine yards. So. Um, you, now that you've been on, on both sides, uh, talk a little bit about for those who are wanting to get into that side of the industry, hey, it's not all just uh, numbers and analytics and, and everything else that the industry has grown to. There's still that business side. Yeah, there, there is. And I, I think, um, uh, and I've, I've said this before, as a scout, you're a professional guesser. That's what you're doing. You're being paid to guess, <laughs> and, you know. And I, I don't want to. I don't want to overstate that. You know what you're doing, but I think what happens is the way that we've kind of thought about it, and and it, some of it's the spectrum of the player. It's it's with a major league player. It's almost like now you almost know what you're getting, and the majority of the time. And as a, as a scouter and evaluator, you're really just talking about is the athlete trending up across or down? Is it going to maintain the skill set that we have? Or and what type of person are we putting into our environment? But when you get down to the college or the high school or or those fourteen year old kids in the Dominican, um, you're trying you're buying a piece of clay, and I and I don't want to downgrade. You're buying you know it's a, giving a person an opportunity, but you can almost think of it like a piece of clay. Like we might get a kid and go, hey, he can he can really run, and he makes good contact, and he has some work to do on his defense. It's a good work ethic. It's a good family support network. He's going to make mature decisions. And when that um, player comes into your system, you could do the, oh, we'll wait for five to seven years. No, we don't have to wait five to seven years. Like we'll know really quickly. Does he run well? Does he have the skills? Does he have a good work ethic? Does he have a good support network? Does he make mature decisions? And if you get those things right, that's that's kind of a win. That's a good decision for your organization. But if you sell that that player and that person, 
And then he, he comes in and your player development people know in a week. And if he can't hit and he can't run and he doesn't make good decisions and they can't get him to show up on time. And, and, you know, the stuff he's getting from home is a mess. All that's a bad decision. And so while you don't know what your result's going to be and how it's going to turn out, you, you can kind of gauge yourself in steps along the way, just to make sure that, that you're what you have sold as a scout. This is the, the person that we're coming in and the development path they might be able to take. You can check at any point on that journey as to whether what you, the package that you thought you were getting and the player that you thought you were getting is still on track for that. And if they are, that's a good decision. And if it's not, it's a bad decision. Um, but the, and I'll throw some of my brethren under the bus. The wow, you know, we got to wait five to seven. No, we don't. We don't need to wait five to seven years. We can find out really. And sometimes player development is in five to seven days. And we have to be honest with that and trying to assess ourselves and what we're giving over to the organization. So, yes, we are um, bringing in packages, but it's no different than than hiring someone for your sales team. At some point, they need to produce. And what are your metrics that you look at to try and figure out the measurables along the way, even if you haven't quite gotten to the point where you can plug in a formula and get an exact ROI for what that person might be churning out or producing. And when you think about how you execute to the highest level, right? You want to you want to understand best practices. You want to learn from others, as you mentioned earlier, kind of the there is no book for how to scout, right? You're learning and through storytelling from others and how people see things and what they look for. And, you know, it's, it's that four hours you're sitting, or I should say three hours that you're sitting at a game, you know, uh, well, there, there's the batting practice and everything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, usually five, it's usually five or six, depending <laughs> on when you get there, but yeah. So, but when, but when you think about it, you're constantly learning from others on the business side, you're constantly networking to understand how people do certain things. If they've, done something you know new how did they do it what was their approach if they've done something really well for a long period of time okay what's kind of the secret sauce right and no one's super afraid to share anything right because it's like hey you got to have the right culture the right people in place right you know organizational structure all of these different things to be able to put something into action and actually have it succeed but it, there's a willingness right the mba created their team bow group in terms of best practices and what works on the player side, not so much, right? You're, you're trying to get every win you possibly can. And when someone like yourself has gone from one organization to another, to another, to another, you know some of the secrets from those different organizations that you maybe either bring along or you say, ah, they did it this way, I didn't like that. What are the, what's this new organization doing well? So how, what is that dynamic on the player side, knowing that there isn't a whole lot of information sharing best practices. Yeah, and, and it's tricky. And um, I do think this is something where the advent of the internet and Zoom and LinkedIn has really kind of shrunk the world a little bit and your ability to exchange ideas. Because the one thing is, you know, I, I worked in Major League Baseball all those years. Very rarely did I do idea exchange with people within Major League Baseball baseball because you didn't want it to your point you didn't want to give away the competitive advantage but particularly at the end of my career when I moved from scouting and development and I was helping to oversee our high performance department all of a sudden I'm overseeing like trainers and strength coaches and trying to make it at an athlete centric conversation which I believe is the right way to go but now I couldn't lead with content I didn't know how to give that treatment or I didn't know what exercise was the right one to unlock you know, thoracic mobility or whatever. And I don't, you know, I know what that, I only know what that is because 
because someone explained it to me, not because it was part of my, you know, part of my training. But what I found was that a lot of the idea exchanges actually across sports. Um, in that last kind of stint, I, I made contacts with the English Premier League and with Aussie Rules Football and with the U.S. Tennis Association and the NHL and the NBA, because you could be a little more open um, because you knew, you know, if I was exchanging ideas with someone in Aussie Rules Football, my team was not going to compete against their team at some point to, to try and have the scoreboard figure out who's better. So, uh, but in dealing with athletes or dealing with people, a lot of the pain points and, and challenges are very, very similar. So the real nuts and bolts of the idea exchange, at least in, in, in building out a network later on, was actually outside of baseball. So I had my connections of people that I had sat in ballparks with all that year, all those years, or gone to league meetings with or MLB meetings, whatever it might be. But at the end, it was more about someone from the U.S. Tennis Association and, hey, how do you guys handle your coach development and someone from Aussie Rules Football and how do you guys use, you know, force plates to try and gauge the, the health of your athletes? And, and um, again, the Zoom really, for lack of a better way to put it, Zoom and the internet has really allowed us to exchange ideas and free flow just like this. Like you click a button, I click a button and we get to have a conversation. And that's such a powerful tool for trying to uh, conduct idea exchange of best practices because it lets you get outside your bubble in a very, very easy way. And the, the exchange of information can really change your world in a positive way. And, and being willing to make those connections and have those conversations, I always found that a very worthwhile, uh, um, very worthwhile exercise because way more often than not, you got something that you could bring back and help make your people better, help make your team better. Now, in terms of bringing all that information back, not everybody is necessarily open to, uh, you know, a different way, right? Let's just call it yeah. that. Um, how do you go about working within the different cultures that you did over the years and understanding that, look, uh, the player side, there, there's an ego aspect to everybody that that's in that side of the business, right? It's, hey, I got this player here. It's, hey, I developed this, per right? Like, there is that component and that's components everywhere, but it definitely comes through a little bit more on because that's ultimately the value that you show, right? As, as an individual on that side. Right. Yeah. Great, great question. And again, something I've been, really been surprised at how it translates. I, I mean, I literally grew up in the Moneyball era. I'm old enough to have grown up in the Moneyball era. And it was about the, the the easiest way to do is kind of old school old school to new school like how do you use the information to help make better decisions and i was very fortunate my last three stops in my career a lot of what we i was brought in for the team that i was brought in that the management team that i came in with that was part of the challenge was was how do you what's our new program going to look like and how do we bring our people up to speed and in this day and age, I don't think that's something just baseball-wise. A lot of industries are having their money ball moment right now. We, we can collect so much data right now and share so much data, and you have this overwhelming amount of information, and it's about trying to distill it down to actionable bullet points for your people that they can use on the front line. And I think the number one uh, lesson that I learned with any new idea, and that could be a new technology, it can be a new idea, it can be a new program coming from your business side. Um, it's about taking the time to educate your frontline people as to why it's a tool that can help them do their jobs better, as opposed to a threat. Um, and in, in, in with scouts and you know those that saw the movie Moneyball, it was like, oh my God, like these numbers are going to take my job. 
Well, here we are all these years later. No, it's not taking your job. The numbers augment what you do. And the numbers are almost like a part-time scout. If I see a player who exhibits a skill in a game, I can go, hey, I know in my look that he exhibited this skill. Now I can go, look, I have this part-time scout, this wall of numbers that doesn't know that it takes really good notes, but doesn't know what it's looking at until I ask the question. And I go, hey, this pitcher really threw strikes today. He didn't walk anybody. And now I can go and look. And if he has a really low walk rate, well, I know that I got a good look. I know that he's always throwing strikes, or at least his track record suggests if I sell my piece of play as a strike thrower, it really is a strike thrower. But if he throws strikes on the one day I saw him and I look and, and he's walked the house the rest of his career, now I need to start asking questions like, did they change something in his delivery? Did they take a pitch away? You know, did he not really, did he not really throw strikes? He just faced a free swinging team that kind of bailed him out. Or was it the one day that the stars aligned and this guy was going to get the ball over the plate. But if I present that piece of clay as a guaranteed strike thrower, when he's got all this track record that says that that's not what he does, that's a bad decision. And I think that that's the, the case with any new technology or idea. If you can take your time to uh, educate your people to explain how it can help them, they tend to embrace it. That's not what most organizations do. We come in, we throw the new technology or the new idea, the new program on the table. We give them an operating manual and go, ah, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then we walk out. And then and everybody's like, whoa, wait a second. I'm scared. I don't know. I'm not really sure how to use this. And uh, organizations just don't, they don't do a good enough job. In my opinion, they don't, if you take the time on the front end to have the conversations, it makes it easier on the back end. And I don't know that baseball was more progressive or more open-minded about it. We just had to deal with these things first before other sports and some other industries. Um, but it gets back to what you talked about earlier. It's exacerbated by the fact that a lot of our employees are remote. So they're representing us. So you really have to take the time to, to let them know what they're doing because they're representing you independently, um, often like out of sight, out of mind. You're not even sure where they might be. And you do want to make sure that there's alignment there. And some organizations and some teams do it better than others. And the ones that do it better than others are the ones that tend to win. And one last piece with this, because it's interesting. I, I remember on, on our visit, it was, you know, hey, can't look at the numbers before you actually look at what the product is, <laughs> right? Because you don't want to get, you don't want to have your eyes skewed by what the numbers are telling you, right? And it's the same thing on, on the business side. Like, there's a there's a gut intuition uh, instinct right that's telling you hey is this person performing are they not are they going about it the right way are they showing up on time right and all those different things that you just mentioned and then what do the numbers say right so from a validation perspective but I think that's an important piece to understand because again your perspectives can be skewed if you do it a little bit differently. That, that is the right the right order. Like, let the player tell you what you think. As a scout, let the player tell you what you think he is first and then go back and double check. So again, you're using the information to augment your job. If you just go to the numbers and look at the numbers and then now you're you're doing the same, the thing you were scared about in the beginning, you're letting the numbers replace, you know, your intuition and your instinct. And I, I have a good story actually in that I, I did this with an NHL club, I had a chance to go into an NHL scouting meeting. And, um, you know, you know, from baseball, like when the when the California scout talks about the Florida player, like all the East Coast guys, oh, my God, you can't talk about my guy. No, it's not your guy. It's our board. Let's get it right. But uh, in hockey, it's the North American scouts and the European scouts. So very, very similar where I'm, I'm in the room, they're talking. And again, it's idea exchange. They're actually letting me in their room. And 
the scouting director says to a, a North American scout, hey, you saw this guy, right? And then it was a European defenseman. And the North American scouts like, yeah, you know, I saw him and I saw him at the Gretzky Helenka, which is a big amateur tournament uh, for hockey players. And he, he says, hey, you know, I, 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 he had good vision and he carried the puck well. And, you know, I, I like him a lot better with the puck than without the puck. So basically saying he's an offensive defenseman. And at the same time, there's um, uh, they have this, this graph up on the board with these like bar, like it's like a bar graph. Like in a, if you're good at offense, it's a high bar. And if you're bad at offense, it's a low bar. And, and then the scout says, well, yeah, but I only saw him for a game and a half, which again, you don't know. Am I getting a good look, a bad look? Am I getting the real look? And so I'm in the room and they they say, if you see anything, you know, like, let us know. And so that, I said, okay, like, here's a question. Like I asked the scout, I said, Hey, I've, I've been that they call it a crossover scout. We call it cross checkers in baseball. You're going to see a player on behalf of someone else. And you get a really limited look at the skill set, and you're trying to figure it out. And um, I said, you know, I, I've been a cross checker. I, I understand, you know, you, you have your game and a half. You're not sure if it's the, you know, is it good? Is it bad? It's just the real picture of the player. And I said, if you had to guess at his graph, what would it look like? And you go, oh, the offense would be high and the defense would be low and the loose pucks would be like halfway. And so I said, okay, I, I just, you just nailed his graph. Like that's what his graph looks like. I said, and this is your part-time scout that takes really good notes, but now you have to match it up. And so I asked the, the analyst, I said, how many, you know, you, I said, you saw him a game and a half and the scout goes, yep. And I said, okay, I asked the analyst, how many games is that graph? And he goes, oh, it's, it was like 43 games. And I said, so now your game and a half of what you saw, your, your anecdotal observational matches 43 games of information that has been meticulously collected that you have to actually merge together now. I said, it's about building conviction as a scout. I said, how do you feel now? And he goes, oh, goes, I have a lot more conviction now knowing that. He goes, in fact, I might move the player up a, a spot or two on my list. And so now we get to a break. And I wish he would have done it in front of the room, but we get to a break and he pulls me aside and he goes, hey, that was easy. He goes, why don't they give me the graph for every player? <laughs> Which gets back to your point. And I said, hey, I said, well, I said, to be clear, I said, first of all, it takes 43 games to put that graph together. So you do have to wait for the graph to build itself out. I said, but the second thing is if they give you the graph on every player, the player is going to do something in, in the range of that graph every game, if you're looking for it. So we don't want to bias you walking in. I said, so you go in, you get your look. I said, and then you merge it together. I said, the point is at certain points in the calendar, merging those things together to see if you're on track and then you go back out and do your, do your thing again. And uh, again, like having a chance to step back and talk with other people in the quote unquote real world and more traditional industries, it's the same thing. You have your frontline people doing sales or manufacturing or whatever it is. And every once in a while, you want to periodically come back, you know, how's my milestones matching up with the things that I can measure. And if those things are, are, are merging together and match, keep doing your thing. But when they don't match, that's when you need to call time out and go, okay, hey, why doesn't this line up? Do we need to make an adjustment? Do we need to change something in our processors or something that we're doing? And um, again, I think it's something that um, good teams, good groups, good businesses in any industry, they're able to almost incorporate that into their operating culture, uh, more so than just collecting them on separate tracks and hoping that they magically come together to double check. So well, and you yeah, can't. something you want to you want to fight against the biases that you mentioned of just letting the numbers tell you you have to merge the two things together. And you can't have the paralysis by analysis because you you ultimately you have to measure what matters too, right? If if you're measuring something that doesn't necessarily matter to the end all be all of the performance of that player, 
impacting the organization and you're just measuring, you know, only character, right? Like, yeah, they could be off the charts in character and skills, not not there, right? And so, hey, we really need an offensive, you know, player to your point or defensive player, but like, what actually matters at that moment in time for the organization, whatever it might be, I think is also interesting as well. Because to your point, there is so much data that you sometimes don't know what to do with it, or don't work, don't know where to start. Right, and the, I think the problem with uh... Uh, using data or one of the, the um, possible flaws of using it, it's always backwards looking. So, you know, even with what you're doing on the business side, if your market changes or the economy changes or what looks going forward like that, the last 12 months data might not mean anything for you. You know, it might, it might lead you in a wrong direction actually, because you're not, so you're always forward looking and trying to project and, um, I think where the battle is, sometimes we tend to get so formulaic on what the numbers are telling us. We don't just look up and go, ah, you know what? Like our environment's different or this piece is different or this person's different or it's not, it's not this, we're not playing the same exact game anymore. Or I know that's what our opponent, you know, they just move the fences in 15 feet. So now we're looking at all this data and the fences are in 15 feet. Did we adjust for that yet? And uh, again, I think that that that's the mix of the art and the science in trying to to make decisions and uh, again a lot of industries are having their money ball moment right now and what you have is just like we did in baseball you have people coming in and going ah here's the answer uh, no especially when you're dealing with people it's never an answer it's always a probability but you do want to try and stack up 60, 40, and 70, 30 probabilities. You just want to keep stacking those up in your favor because that's what the good organizations do. And that that's where you maximize your chances of, of having a successful outcome. As we wrap up the episode, I want I want you to talk about, you just mentioned a point of kind of you're always, you're always going, 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 and then you look up and your environment's changed or whatever the case might be, right? And uh in the in the case of the player side, you're I mean, you're just lucky to sleep a couple hours, right? And and uh, get to your own pillow at, at uh, many times. So when you think about your career and, and you know, 30 plus years in baseball that you've had, uh, what's one piece of advice that you'd have for, for those in any aspect of the sports business, right? Not just the player side, but something you've learned from that, that uh, area of the business that can maybe apply to, to everybody else. Yeah, and, and you know what, I think it applies to you as well. Uh, it, it's supply and demand that people love to work in sports. It is, it is a, it is a, a very fulfilling job. Um, you get a chance to travel places. You get a chance to be in a, in a, in a fun environment, particularly when your club's winning, but it's super competitive. There are a lot of people that want to get into it. And anytime, you know, someone leaves a job, there's 20 people lined up to, to take it. And I think it's just, um, understanding kind of what your niche is, where do you, and, and I don't want to sound over cliche-ish, but, you know, where do you add value? Where can you bring something to the table that wasn't there before? Um, especially in the sports world, winning is not normal. If, if, if winning was normal, everyone would do it. So you have to be willing to do something that's a separator for you, whether it be your communication or the information you can provide or your ability to help manage the team or whatever it can be. So, um, it, it really is about uh, learning, being forward thinking, trying to exchange ideas, um, trying to keep an open mind. And every once in a while, to your point, 
Um, I do think that some of the better people don't get sucked into the weeds of like their day to day and get stuck in a routine where all of a sudden they don't evolve and they don't grow. Every once in a while, you have to be able to look up and kind of gauge what's going on around you and adjust accordingly. Um, really competitive industry, uh, difficult to get a foothold in. Um, and, and, you know, I traveled that path, you traveled that path, but if you're able to do that and you're able to, to, uh, bring the right things to the table, you do get to do it for a long time. It's very rewarding. It's very, um, very fulfilling. So for people that are looking to try and get into it, um, more power to you and, and you, you should always uh, chase your dream, but come in with both eyes open. If, if you're not willing to, to uh, do the hard work to, to earn yourself a spot on the team, um, it's, just, it's just like any other team. They, 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 at some point, they stop picking players and everybody else is on the outside looking in. And, and you have to understand that that's the environment. You need to be willing to do the things to help yourself grow and help your team grow so that you can stay a part of that. You know, I was thinking back to your comment about being a professional guesser. I think you're also a professional question asker because... You have to basically question every single thing you're seeing, doing, talking to people, right? It's always like the why behind the why behind the why. Um, and then to your point about just, you know, the competitiveness of the industry and, and so on and so forth, like you have to have a lot of, ask a lot of questions to understand what's going on around you as well from an environment perspective. Um, not everybody gets to be the GM, right? You you were, you sat in that assistant GM chair, but but there's only one GM and, and ultimately they make the decisions, right? Yeah, no, you're right. And I think, you know, what you, it's, it's about getting incrementally better. How do we get incrementally better? How do our players get incrementally better? How do I get incrementally better? And if you can create an environment where everyone is just trying to get incrementally better every day, if each individual gets closer to their ceiling, that should bring the organization closer to its ceiling as well. And, uh, uh, Again, in an industry that is is literally built around competition, um, that that's really the challenge: is how do you get better? What do you do to get yourself one step closer today? And you know, something as simple as you know, we had two championship games in the NFL yesterday. One team gets to go on, and the other team doesn't. And the teams that are going home, they're gonna they're gonna start today trying to get better, so that next year they can take the next step. And you may you may never get the chance to take that final step because that's a result rather than the process but you can try to learn something new today i didn't yesterday or 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 give something today that i didn't give yesterday and uh in a in a strange way i know that that there's a lot of buzzwords in there that you might read but it's the reality of it and that the best teams do find a way to do that and uh it's it's uh it's it's very cutthroat in the way that it happens, but it, it does have it does have kind of a a team aspect to it that the the best teams find a way to do that because ultimately that's what allows them to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Love all of that. Um, rapid fire. You ready to go? Sure. Best stadium you've ever been to? Uh, I like Pittsburgh. I like PNC Park. I think it's a it's a fun it's a fun city. It's a it's a great atmosphere and it's a good sports town. And I, I like Pittsburgh. Best restaurant you've gotten to go to, post or pregame? Ah, that's an interesting one. I was in Japan one time and I went to a Chinese restaurant in a place called Rapungi Square with Bobby Valentine. So the best Chinese food I've ever had was in Tokyo, Japan 
with with Bobby Valentine. Really fortunate. Jerry Depoto was our 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 um, pro scouting director. I'd gone over there on a scouting trip back when Darvish was still pitching in Japan. So this would have been like 2007, 8, 9, something like that. And Bobby Valentine was managing over there and Jerry had played with Bobby for the Mets. So I got to eat for free. I got to eat Chinese food for free. And as a scout, if it's a free meal, it's even better. So yeah, but that, that would probably be the best restaurant. Love that airline of choice. Uh, it was either, well, it was American for a while. And then when I worked for the Cubs, United was a sponsor. So then United was uh, my airline of choice. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, for me, it's, I, I actually, um, some guys, like to get the miles i with a young daughter at the time i sometimes would spread my miles around just because i picked the flight that got me home to spend a little more time with my family so um different guys do it different ways now i crammed the marriott points in left right and center but the airlines i was a little looser if i could get more time at home i, I tried to go that way that was my next question but so so marriott it is got oh it. yeah marriott guy those hit this hilton heathens they can they can go no uh yeah no marriott lifetime platinum you know, my daughter did the math one time how many years I spent in hotels. So it's kind of embarrassing, but she does get uh -huh. the swagger. Uh -huh. She goes, she swaggers around. She's like, we get the concierge lounge, right? Yeah, we get the concierge lounge. So she knows. So, so how many years in a or in a Marriott? Uh, I, 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 she did the math one time. It was like it was almost like seven years in Marriott oh hotels gosh. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, wow. embarrassing. But not a, not a family industry. Something else to keep in mind. Yes, they should sponsor you at some point. Um, or maybe you do a speaking engagement for them. One of, one of the two. Um, la last one for you. Favorite player that you got to scout that you wrote up a report and you were like, yes, this is the guy. And then he ended up being a big shot. Uh, you know what? And I'm, I'm going to give credit on this one, a team effort. In two, uh, 2012, 2013, we traded, I can't remember if it was the Matt Garza trade or the Ryan Dempster trade, but we got back a young hitter named Christian Villanueva and, from the Rangers. And we were looking for a, a pitcher as an add-on. And we had targeted two guys in A-ball. Our scouting staff had focused in on two guys. And it was Nick Martinez, who's the reliever for the Padres now. And Kyle Hendricks was the other one. And we had done the background work and um, we, we ended up recommending to Theo Epstein that they ask and Jed Hoyer that they ask for Kyle Hendricks and we got Hendricks back. So uh, the reality of it is at the time it was the the uh, Christian Villanueva trade because it was the 20 year old that was raking in double A and Kyle Hendricks was that tack on. And now all these years later, it's like, oh yeah, the Kyle Hendricks trade. It, was, it totally wasn't the Kyle Hendricks trade, but it was a really good process and it was a team effort. And we did a lot of background on the player and to identify a pitcher in a ball that actually gets to the big leagues is really hard and we identified two of them. and then in breaking the tie between the two we picked the one that ended up being kyle hendricks and you know helping lead the cubs to a world series so yeah that that would be my favorite story with putting something together with a player that really panned out and we didn't we just thought he had a chance to be a a, a you know a, a contributing big leaguer and he turned out to be a phenomenal pitcher and, and has earned everything he's gotten because he's a great person as well that's quite the player to be named later uh it is yeah <laughs> unless unless they were named in the deal maybe you know but still well let's let's call it that but uh joe really appreciate all of the insights perspectives uh storytelling around your journey uh and and the player side of of the operations within our our business uh definitely would love to have you on again uh in the near future as well uh there's 
you can tell there's a lot of stories to be told. So uh, I'm sure you're not short of them. Uh, I might only have I might only have one more episode in before I tap out. But no, this was this was fun. Uh, I really enjoyed the chance to catch up. You and I have known each other for a long time and kind of watch each other from afar and to be able to come back together and have a conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. I hope you hope your listeners did it as well. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.